Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Always a pleasure. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's uh, great to have you with us. We're going to move uh, on with uh, my next guest. He is Mark uh, Gerolek from Meyer Olson, Lowy and Myers LLP, a law firm. And they're a, he's a family law litigator who handles contentious and high-conflict matters with sophisticated and complex issues in divorce, custody, and domestic violence. Now, we all know that um, you know COVID-19 is forcing people to spend a lot of time together, and sometimes that's, that's good, and sometimes that's not so good. So we're going to talk about divorce and support in a post-COVID-19 world. Mark, thanks so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Mark, you're an attorney, a family law litigator, actually. Tell us a little bit about your background and what, what other areas your firm specializes in at Meyer Olson, Lowy & Myers. Sure, sure. So I attended UC Irvine as an undergrad. I have a psychology degree uh, from there in science, and I attended uh, Southwestern Law School um, and graduated about uh, 13 years ago. And uh, I've been practicing and been involved in family law uh, since day one. Uh, I took a class with two very well-known judges at my law school who kind of propelled me into the, at first, L.A. universe of, of family law. Um, I've been with my firm now, uh, well, really twice. So I started my career out there in L.A., uh, handling uh, complex and kind of uh, high um, publicity cases in the entertainment world and uh, moved down to Orange County and eventually opened up their Orange County office here about six years ago, which I manage and run, uh, our firm only does family law cases. Uh, we are uh, the largest in the state of California uh, for family law. Uh, there are uh, rumors that we're the largest in the country, but I don't know yet, and I can't verify that one. So uh, <laughs> our practice is uh, solely focused on uh, family law world, and, and I would say litigation uh, specifically, a lot of family law attorneys out there uh, do mediation. Uh, they do kind of um, more simple cases like a house and maybe a custody issue here or there. Uh, we really don't do that. We handle kind of the bigger, this is going to trial, people can't settle their cases, um, and they need someone to bring their cases um, to the court. Okay, so let's talk about that because there's right now with uh, under COVID-19, uh, uh, California courts are are kind of closed right now, I guess, right? So what what's going on in the California courts related to 
disclosures, filings, and issues heard by the court? Yeah, so I, I first would tell you that the courts aren't kind of unified in the way that they're opened and closed. So every county treats their family law department differently. So in Orange County, we are pretty much closed completely except for domestic violence ex-parties, which means that there is an emergency related to domestic violence. Uh, usually it's the physical kind of emergency, not necessarily the emotional kind. Uh, it's heard on an emergency basis. And that's it. That's all the courts are, are dealing with right now. We can't even file a motion, a judgment, a settlement uh, agreement, anything. Uh, it's, it's closed for business. Uh, and then, wow. uh, you know, contrast with that with LA, uh, which is a little bit more open. You can still physically show up at the courthouse. You can still file things. You can file judgments, motions, everything. Um, and uh, they're still only doing domestic violence hearings, but it's a little bit more open as to trials uh, and uh, pressing matters. And, and just to kind of give you the, the contrast with that, in Orange County right now, we have over 1,700 filed or non-filed motions that are just waiting at the front door of the courthouse to be filed, which the number was just released. So um, that's 1,700 hearings, hearings that uh, haven't even been set yet uh, and are pushed off. So oh my. Uh, we don't anticipate, <laughs> uh, we don't, you know, if, you know, there's a lot of new rumblings around. There's a lot of people calling. Uh, but don't expect to get heard by the court, you know, at the earliest August, September, October of, of this year before anything really happens. So are, are those in any way, shape, or form um, filed in a certain order so that when uh, when the courts reopen, they'll be uh, prioritized by the, the order which they were submitted? Yeah, so that's kind of what everyone is hoping will happen. Uh, right now, we yeah. have an outstanding queue. <laughs> so everything is in queue. Uh, they don't know if that's going to be the case, though, because, you know, some things take priority over other things. Domestic violence obviously takes the most priority. Custody is next. Uh, and then very at the bottom of the barrel, we have support, and we have division of assets and attorney fee contributions, um, which will probably get heard last. So, uh Everybody's hoping it's just filed kind of in queue. You know, if you filed, you know, line five, you'll get the next date. If you're 1,700, you're not going to get a date out for a while. But uh, that's probably going to change courtroom to courtroom once things get going. Yeah, I'm picturing a, a pile of papers at the, at you know, at the inbox door slot <laughs> just you know yeah. cause, because seriously the the uh, administrative people. Uh, Aren't, aren't they're not able to work either, right? They're, are they considered right, yeah. essential? They are considered essential. Right now we have uh, 13 staff working at the courts, uh, and I think there's mm. usually over uh, 400. So uh, the 13 people are trying to do the work of three or 400 people, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, they have age limits. Mm. You know, if you're under a certain age, you can't come in. So it really... Um, it's difficult for them to do anything with this. And remember, there's other departments that are you know, also important, like criminal law and probate law, of course. Um, that you know, there are constitutional rights that are being affected by not being able to go to court. So let's talk about a couple uh, potential topics here. Is now a good time to consider modification of, let's say, support obligations? Yes, definitely. Uh, 
Uh, in fact, uh, in that queue, there are four of my own motions to modify uh, child support and spousal support. So, you know, just kind of as a general um, notion, we don't know what the court is going to do in the next few months or how they're going to look at things, but certainly uh, it is obvious that the economic impact to everyone um, is substantial, whether you're paying support or receiving support. Um, there are people who have stopped paying support altogether in this because they've been furloughed or laid off or their company has shut down. Um, and then there are people with more stable jobs like government employees um, and school teachers and uh, people who will continue to get paid through all of this. So what I've seen happening is a lot of business owners uh, who normally would receive distributions or they would normally receive a high salary aren't receiving anything if their business is still open. Um, and their spouse who may be working a more steady job is receiving a steady income. So uh, it's certainly an opportune time to get some kind of relief from support. Uh, and you know, the tricky thing here is something we call retroactivity. So uh, if you get yourself in that queue with your motion filed, um, it's not really a filed motion because you don't have a hearing date yet. And the current rules say that you need to have that date, that filing date, before we can look back at a retroactive period of time. So uh, we don't know if the court's going to say, yeah, you know, you filed your motion on March 31st when this all happened, you're retroactive back to March 31st and we'll give you relief then. Or if they're going to say, well, the court didn't really open up until the end of May or June, uh, so we're only right. going to go retroactive back to the date of June, and you're just SOL for those two months um, that you still had to pay support, which uh, is, is a big impact for both for both sides. Yeah. In the meanwhile, uh, people are, um, you know, they're depending on uh, things being reinstated if they've been stopped or um, or reducing them and not feeling like they're um, going to get picked up for uh, changing things because of their needs um, and the courts can't validate it. It's a very interesting time. Um, and, you know, speaking of that, I'm, I know in the types of cases that you handle complex divorces, you know, finances are in a free fall. I talk to a lot of um, advisors that do business valuations, for instance, that things have changed drastically in just the last few months. So uh, how, how should our listeners handle um, those types of situations? Right. So uh, if you are contemplating divorce uh, and your business is kind of on a, a free-for-all, um, know that when the court looks at valuation, it doesn't necessarily look prospectively into the future as to what your business will be worth. Mm -hmm. It looks back mm -hmm. in time. And so they'll say, okay, you know, which is different than the real world. When you're trying to sell your business to someone, they're looking at, you know, what your profits might be in, in the next few years or what your business might do. In our family law world, we're really looking back in time and saying, all right, um, your business, you know, grossed this much over the last two or three years. Uh, we're going to apply some multiplier to that. We're going to look at goodwill uh, and we're going to come up with a value. So when you have three or four years of really good uh, profits and things are going well, and then all of a sudden two months of nothing and the business has fallen apart, uh, the opposing side is going to certainly argue that, you know, those two months were anomaly and the court should value that asset before all of this happened. And the person who 
is in a free-for-all is going to say, hey, um, it doesn't matter what happened in those last two years. The, the bottom line is uh, we don't know if I'll be able to have a business moving forward or what that business is going to look like or what you know, factors they'll be coming um, to, to do or handle or look at. Um, and so I imagine it's going to create a lot of litigation. Now, the longer that this goes on and the more damage that happens, uh, the less likely the court's going to look back in time and say that's the appropriate uh, time to look at, and the more likely they're going to look at the here and now as to the value of the asset. Um, and it certainly will be interesting how it plays out. I think that a lot of it's going to be very industry-specific. So uh, if you're in an industry that is somehow related to uh, travel or hospitality, uh, you mm -hmm. are going to get a bit more of a break because your industry is more impacted. Uh, if your industry is more uh, professional service-based, like you are a financial advisor or if you have a law firm, uh, you're going to have less uh, lenience as to what the court will look at because you can get yourself up and you can always bill more hours and get more people to bill hours and people are always fighting. So uh, I, I think it's going to be more of a case-by-case -case basis but certainly the longer that this all kind of goes out and, and keeps going, uh, the, the more likely the court's going to look at the lower values versus the higher values. How important is it for listeners to uh, keep detailed records as far as what's actually happening month by month and to communicate with their, their counsel even if the courts can't, can't hear it? Super important. Um, I have seen a lot of cases where people are six months, a year, two years behind on their books. And uh, what happens is, is if they're not up to date and they're not communicating with what's going on, things get lost in the shuffle. Things get reallocated. Uh, people question uh, certain charges and certain benefits and perquisites that they might be receiving. So instead of keeping accurate books, they're keeping kind of loose records and things get lost in communication, and lawyers like me are able to twist that to whatever uh, will benefit our clients to help with the value, whether it's increasing value or increasing cash flow or doing the opposite, lowering value and lowering cash flow. Uh, so it, it's super important. And I, I always believe, and I'm a strong proponent of communication with your attorney, uh, it, it, it's one of the most important things that can happen when you are going through a divorce is to have a strong connection with your attorney to be able to articulate and understand what's happening so you're not left in the dark. Uh, understand why motions are being filed, why letters are being sent, why discovery is being issued. Um, and because if you don't understand that yourself, you're not going to be able to understand whether a settlement is a good settlement, a bad settlement, whether the uh, cost benefit of going through litigation is worth it. Um, whether someone is being reasonable or unreasonable, whether you know you know what your worst case and best case scenarios are. So that communication component and that comfort level is is probably one of the most important things to to deal with. Yeah, it makes good sense. And you know, I guess uh, another I concept would be that I, I wouldn't expect if I were getting a divorce, I wouldn't expect you as my lawyer to be up to date on what's going on in my particular industry so clients can talk about not only what's going on with their personal situation but with their 
their industry in general, I would imagine, you know, your, your job is to frame it and, uh, and defend that and, and make an argument that you're, uh, you deserve um, special treatment. You know, you deserve the treatment based on those facts. It's all about the facts. And so uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, uh, is it kind of expected that divorce filings would be expected to rise because of the stress and the, the impact of uh, COVID-19? Uh, so, so the general answer is yes, so, but we don't know exactly. Uh, in, in China, so China is a few you know, weeks, months ahead of us, uh, they've actually had a 30% increase in their divorce filings over the last three weeks. Um, wow. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's going to play, I think, pretty significantly uh, into California, which notoriously has a high divorce rate. Um, and will likely kind of go up, um, you know, just in the next in the next few weeks. And you know, just also kind of the courts are closed, so the normal filings of divorces aren't happening. So you know, if the county gets, you know, four or five hundred divorces filing every week for everybody in the county, um, when that's not happening, that gets built up and built up and and multiplies. Uh, so I imagine that once we are allowed to file, there's going to be a huge influx of new filing, new cases, and new issues. Yeah. Um, and I will tell you, there are a lot of new issues, not just on the financial side, but on the custody side as well because of COVID, uh, which is also going to create new, not just divorce filings, but paternity filings and domestic violence filings. Um, people are withholding their children. People are refusing to do exchange timely. People are asking for more information about how the other spouse and the other spouse's family is practicing social distancing. So all of that is going to come to a boil once the courts open up and everyone's going to be rushing to try and do something. Uh, What's your so, uh, best guess at, as far as how long it's going to take to catch up with all this backlog to get things back to some semblance of normal? Yeah, right now, so if the courts were open tomorrow, uh, I would guess that by fall, we would kind of be back to normal. Um, if oh. the courts don't open till June, which I anticipate that happening, um, you're looking more at like April or May of next year. Wow. So, uh, I mean, uh, will more people, maybe not in your types of cases, but in normal types of cases, will more people be looking at alternative um, avenues like mediation um, and, and other places where they can resolve. And they can't do that with child support, obviously, things like that, right? Those, those are only ruled on by judges. Is that correct? Or can, that, can those be settled uh, privately as well? No, they can all be settled privately, and there's, there's lots of avenues to settlement. Uh, and there are some even new avenues that the court just uh, released for settlement, one being a um, program via a, a WebEx format where you can attend a voluntary settlement conference um, kind of like a Zoom to try and resolve your case with a court-appointed court, a court appointed temporary judge. Um, and that just was released oh. this week, and we'll see hopefully in the next few weeks if that has any impact. But uh, people can always use and, and elect to stipulate and agree to use a private judge, um, which I highly recommend because in the end, if something is going to be litigated, it will be much, much cheaper to use a private judge than it will be to spend um, – thousands and thousands of dollars waiting at court for your case to be heard and being continued and then having limited time in front of a judge to present something that could be very complicated 
uh, and could be very time consuming that a judge just isn't going to understand after an hour or two. Uh, and then there's always the use of voluntary settlement conferences and the use of a private settlement officer to help you. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, there are mediations um, and just general, we say meet and confer efforts, but attempts between counsel to try and narrow down whatever issues exist and, and resolve them. Very, very interesting times, Mark. I really appreciate you coming on. Any final tips for our listeners? Uh, just be safe. Uh, if, if you're in a situation where there may be violence or you think there may be violence, uh, don't wait until the violence happens. Don't, don't have the attorney be the first call that you make. Uh, just, just be safe and make sure you and your family are safe. Really appreciate that, and thank you so much for coming on. The website for the firm is M-O-L-M-F-A-M, like family, law, M-O-L-M-F-A-M-L-A-W.com. And, Mark, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I hope things work out soon so that we can get back on track, and I hope that you stay safe as well, and, and uh, hope you'll come back uh, sometime in the future and keep us posted on what's happening. Thank you very much, Bill. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio.